0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Global Gamers Podcast, and we are back um, in our spooky October month, but we're doing things a little bit differently this week. Instead of reviewing a spooky, haunted, monster-filled game, we are fitting in a discussion episode, much like the last discussion episode we did, where we're going to unpack a certain genre of game. Ryan, why don't you kick us off on explaining what it is we're doing this time?
1: Well, we wanted to keep in the spirit of the season. And so we thought, why not embrace full-on paranoia and go with social deduction
0: games? Yes, that's the plan. Um, And because social deduction games are one kind of simple in terms of the rules overhead Uh and two very different from most other kinds of games we thought it would make most sense to kind of do this episode and this genre on its own so for those reasons this may be a little bit of a shorter episode than we're used to but it's gonna be short and sweet and it's gonna pack a punch much like these social deduction games
1: so, yeah, as Ed said, we're doing uh, social deduction games and we we thought this would be a a fun genre to do this time of year. You know, I mean, I mentioned the paranoia thing, but also just this idea of like playing roles is kind of akin to like dressing up for dressing, up dressing, up, dressing up for Halloween in a way like it's a, a, a costume of the imagination, shall, shall we say?
0: Yeah, so just briefly, how would you define social deduction? What are the parameters on social deduction as a game yeah. genre?
1: So I'll keep it short and simple with a what it is and what it isn't, at least for the purposes of our discussion today. So social deduction game for the sort of social deduction game that we're covering today is a game where you know you've got two two or more teams or factions and then everyone has a hidden identity and the engine of the game the main purpose of the game is to discover the identity of different players and have your faction be the one that comes out on top and by the same token you know there are other I feel like this is a subgenre of party games, in my mind, at least, because you have kind cause of you have yeah. plenty of other party games where deduction is in play, but you're trying to deduce something that is a little bit more removed from the players themselves. Whether that be, you know, trying to guess certain keywords in a game like Code Names or Whether you're trying to guess, say, um, you know, a game like Monikers where you're, you know, basically playing charades and trying to guess what people are acting out. You know, so we're leaving out those kinds of games, even though they involve some degree of deduction and focusing more on the ones where the form of deduction is based on the hidden motives and identities of the players and where... I mean, in virtually all of these games, deception is a central tactic.
0: Yeah, there's always a lie and there's always a demon. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. Right. So the first really big question we had going into this um, for how we want to kind of lay this out is... um, kind of doing like a tips and strategies equivalent for this genre for how best to i mean like how how best to like strategize playing a social deduction game and how best to enjoy the experience and And i want to call attention to that for specific reasons that we can unpack as we go yeah
1: yeah but i mean like you said this isn't tips and tricks for like how to win a one particular social deduction game this is more like a meta level like you know we've already touched on what are some of the common threads that tie games in this genre together how do you go about enjoying playing them or like you know have a you know fun time that's like equal parts, like enjoyment of the experience and like feeling like you're doing decently well at. it. in,
0: in the meantime, yeah. So as we mentioned in the kind of definition overview, social deduction, it's very different from most other types of games because there's not so many pieces on a board or anything like that. Um, It's more just like somebody explains rules. You got assigned your role in whatever way that shows up. And then you just go. Um, And what's like interesting about that is it means that most of the gameplay is just kind of on you as an individual and on your group in terms of how you balance the group dynamics. Well, right.
1: So I think. Because it's all on the interpersonal dynamics and like. You know, all of that is the outflow of like you as a human being. You don't have the intermediary buffer <laughs> of like, oh, the meeples, the cards, the dice that, you know, I mean, obviously there's some luck in social deduction sca- games, too, depending on like what role you get and like whether other players like make a mistake or something like that. But, you know, there's less of that buffer in the components. And it feels like more of the onus is on you to be both like the vehicle for how the game is being played, but also just the yeah. I mean the central focus of all the action as well.
0: Yeah. Um So basically like what that kind of leads itself to sometimes is that we, with these types of games, you can have it be a very different, like radically different experience based on who you're playing with. And so the best kind of tip that I would give somebody going into this is, um, like if you're willing to play this game, you really just have to like buy into the premise and just check everything at the door, like no pearl clutching, no taking it personally, getting offended. Um, you know within reason as long as you're playing by the rules of the game yeah. <laughs> um and just you know human decency um but expect to be lied to expect to be deceived expect people to yell at you um expect manipulation because that's the name of the game and i think the way you kind of have to think of this game is that you don't have workers and dice and a board and all that stuff you you are the pieces yeah. as you said it's a very meta um kind of phenomenon right yeah what would would you say about just setting yourself up for success in this type of game
1: i think a few things come to mind the first one is a kind of like a corollary and an outflow of what you said that you are the pieces in this game and i feel like a you know this isn't true of everyone but i think there's a, a a certain group of people myself included where you know, these types of games maybe lend themselves to a certain degree of social anxiety. And um, mm. I think one thing to keep in mind with that along those lines is, you know, it's it can be easy, easy and even like a little bit glib to say fake it until you make it. But I think in this game, in this sort of game, you it tends to be more enjoyable and it tends to be a little bit more fluid and natural feeling if you, if you like try to let go of some of those inhibitions, not just in the sense that you were talking about, about, you know, like being open to like, Deception within the parameters of the game, but also in the sense that not taking it personally how the game turns out, just because, like, because there aren't those intermediary buffers like the meeples and the cards and the things, you are going to feel like it's more on you and your own performance. And so, yeah. like, I, I do like that these games are often not that long, so you can play multiple rounds right in a go back you know, back to back, because that kind of reinforces this idea that no single iteration of this game matters. And just that mental note to yourself that like the stakes aren't that high at the end of the day, like in kind of a like juxtaposition type situation can even sometimes be just that the like, just the reassurance you need to take the edge off a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah, like, honestly, the more of these you can just play back-to-back, the less anyone win is. And I would say even the longest one of these I can think of, Blood on the Clock Tower, and maybe Resistance is a little bit up there, too. Like, maybe an hour at most, you can easily get two or three games in in a night. And, like, at the end of the day, people spend so little time actually talking about the victory you Do you even remember it's a lot of likes
1: oftentimes after you've played a couple no a yeah. lot of
0: a lot of the like a lot of the the review is like talking about what happened in the yeah about oh the time that you lied to me <laughs> and the time that i thought this was happening but actually this was happening and i wish i could have told you this at the time that's what that's what really is the fun part yeah of it. um so i mean i don't want to i don't want to like out your feelings about these kinds of games i i think that i tend to like these more than you do yes that's a fair
1: characterization
0: and i think that to your credit i think that's because you are just an overall like nicer (laughs) person than i I, am in terms of just like i don't know about that maybe meek meeker well 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 mannered and just like yeah peaceful maybe um whereas i i mean i I am pretty introverted most of the time but i kind of take these games as my opportunity to just let loose like some people go to the club or to the rave (laughs) i go to the social deduction couch (laughs) like that that is my time to just turn into an absolute demon (laughs) oh that's hilarious (laughs) yeah
1: um so there is another kind of related question that I wanted to bring up in this, just thinking out the philosophy, you know, different philosophies for how you can approach a social deduction game. And that is, you know, this idea of, you know, on the one hand, there's an impulse to like trust your gut and react in the moment on impulse so that you come off as acting natural. But on the other hand, there's like, certain situations where what information you reveal or don't reveal with answering immediately versus hesitating for a moment, you know, can make you feel like you have to like know in advance what you're going to say in response to certain predictable questions. How do you think about that balance between like, you know, reacting instantaneously in the moment in like an extemporaneous way versus like, having rules of thumb or strategies in your mind beforehand for how you're going to handle certain wrinkles of the game.
0: Yeah, good question. And I think it's kind of the obvious question when you go into one of these games that you kind of are in one of those two mindsets. And obviously there is some variation and malleability on The correct answer to that depending one on exactly which of these games you're playing. So One Night Werewolf is not exactly the same as Secret Hitler. You know? There's different strategies to it. And then the other big thing is well, two other big things. The other one is the specific role you have if you have a game like particularly like Blood on the Clock Tower where you have very distinctive roles. Then probably the biggest one is also who's in the group. Mm -hmm. Is it people you know very well and who know you very well because you're not going to be able to fool those people maybe as easily sometimes as people who you're meeting for the first time so there's a lot of moving pieces i think my general thing is that i think it's important to be adaptable but that the key is really actually to be to kind of have a consistent persona across games yeah so that people aren't able to just very quickly identify, oh, well, this is the way that Ryan plays when he's evil or lying. And this is the way that Ryan plays when he's good and telling the truth. You know, because people can, especially people who know you can very well and know the out. way that you, yeah, like the way that you look when you're lying in real life. If you bring that into the game and they know you very well, they can expose you to the entire group. So you can play that in a couple of ways. Like one, you have to push yourself to like do it differently, mm-hmm. to learn how to lie in the moment, which can be very difficult if it doesn't come naturally to you because some people kind of freeze up, some people laugh, some people like can't look you in the eye without, you know, looking visibly nervous or just giggling or whatever right. it is. Um, but the plus side of that is then like it's so much more satisfying when you're able to pull it off because then people who thought they knew you very well will be shocked and that creates a really funny moment yeah. and also like it allows you to kind of create a wall and a different persona than like who you are and most of the rest reinvent of your life.
1: yourself so to speak
0: yeah, yeah like actively again like i think the key to this is like you are not yourself when you're playing these kinds of games so you have to treat this like you would if you were um a, like a murder mystery yes party where everyone has a role and has to get dressed up and do the accent and you know just ha- have their whole backstory that they've memorized and treat the other people in the room as though oh that's not my friend stacy that's mrs i don't know mrs louisa from up on the hill yeah <laughs> you just have to treat like a totally different world and that's part of what i think is really fun about these games, and it's something that you cannot really do um, so much in some other types of games. Yeah. Like, you know, love our worker placement games, love when they pretend to have a theme, but at the end of the day, do I really feel like a mouse when I play Everdell? Absolutely not. right? You know? It, it just... So make the most of this opportunity, this genre of games, to really just go for it. Um Yeah because yeah it's it's special in in this hobby
1: yeah and i think well and it's i mean you know you have something like D that's like even more leaning into the role-playing element but i feel like this is kind of D light where it's like uh, there's enough it's not as much of a sandbox where there's like the scenarios are like laid out with like a little bit more mental scaffolding where you don't have to like improvise as much. And it's a nice kind of like, I guess gateway to that. If you're like thinking about dabbling in that a bit, but haven't gotten into it too much yet. Um, At least that's been my experience. But one other thing I wanted to add here is the fact that, these games are you know generally relatively short you know you can wrap up around in an hour or less for the majority of the social deduction games that come to mind for me kind of lends itself to this idea that you can you know experiment a little bit and like try on different mm-hmm. hats even if you know even if you have the same role like different different ways to play it it. and like you know if you're gonna play two or three rounds of this in a day in a in a session like why not try wildly different things and just see what sticks and see what happens it's like that makes the game more fun for everybody i think and it also you know
0: well yes i i think so but at the same time I, I will hold firm to my approach that especially if you're trying to win, cons- you want to be consistent. Yeah. Particularly if you know this is a game you're going to play multiple times and like you're going to keep coming back to over multiple days, often with the same people. You want to build up that wall early so that, that when the time comes when you are the evil person, like you already have created a, a consistent persona well and people trust you or people know what what you're potentially
1: about. but i think it depends on the game to the extent that i mean i'm thinking of a game like secret hitler where maybe you've got multiple baddies on the one side of the equation and like maybe you do a little bit of a you have a dynamic at play where maybe one person is being overtly obvious about it to draw attention and one player is like holding back to like do f- deception further into the game where people don't don't realize right away. I feel like a situation like that you could still play it differently in an obvious way versus a non-obvious way and still stay true to like your overall goals for your team in the game.
0: Yeah, I mean I can't really refute you on that because part of the point of these games is that there is no one way to play right. it or to play it correctly right. like there's no this is what you need to do to get the points or to make the engine chain or yeah. whatever and that's what makes it so different and like yeah. a much more free and fluid experience than what we normally yes. play um, any, anything else you want to say about just the overall vibe and strategies of how to survive your social deduction experience. <laughs> hmm.
1: The ol the, I think the only other thing that comes to mind is, you know, and this goes back a little bit to the episode we did on like hosting a successful game night. And, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of how you play this, there's a level of like deception and like potentially, social awkwardness that's like just hardwired into this genre that's not really escapable and that's not everybody's cup of tea so i think it's helpful to keep in mind like who you're playing with and like catering this type of a game night to people that are comfortable in that setting
0: yeah um and i mean i would I think we can really just refer people to that episode for the details about how we think about that, because I know that we covered some deeper uh, ethical issues about how we feel about what's the right balance between including people and having an enjoyable experience for everybody who's involved and had some fun stories about that that we talked about back in that episode. Um, Cool.
1: So we've talked through some observations about like the sorts of mental shifts that these types of games require. And maybe to some extent, the type of psychological fortitude they require. Um, Yeah. But if you were sitting down to give your platonic ideal of a social deduction game, what, would be at the top of your list.
0: Um, I'm going to go with blood on the clock tower. Mm-hmm. So blood on the clock tower may, depending on the audience for this, may be unfamiliar to some people because it is a newer game, but at the same time, it is kind of the new social deduction game. Um, it came out about a year and change ago even though the kickstarter campaign was launched in 2018 and it just had a very long production and distribution i guess and part of that was you know pandemic and shipping and supply chain issues which you know happened to a lot of people but um this is a game that i don't own but a friend of mine owns it and he fairly frequently maybe an average of once a month or so hosts a blood on the clock tower night and what i love about this game it's so and
1: and for li- special for, for listeners that are uh-huh. unfamiliar can you just give like elevator pitch what's the object of this game
0: oh it's there's a demon that is running loose on the town and the townsfolk have to try to figure out who the demon is before they all get killed off and so every day the town folk are trying to if they want, they're going to vote to kill off someone, hoping it's the demon. Mm-hmm. The demon also has like minions who help him out. And a night, the demon will kill one of the townsfolk. And it's just like a race against the clock. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty standard in that way. But what makes it special is that it's a super elevated production. There's this huge grimoire book that the host is kind of organizing out of. Um, everybody has a super interesting. An important role yeah. some of them will give you information at the beginning of the game some will continually give you information some will give you like one-time powers to slay or protect or whatever stuff like that even the evil people have special roles so there's like That's there's a poisoner there's a baron there's yeah a lot of really cool stuff um and there's so many roles that like you can kind of cycle them in and out, and there are different scenarios that you can play as well so and so the games they take a little bit longer than some of the other ones, but it's so it's so thought out and so much like just to give a little anecdote about the level of attention to detail um they designed a role that you can throw in that is specifically designed to give to a townsfolk who. Well, I don't know. They technically wouldn't be a town because I guess you wouldn't know what side they're on, maybe. But it's a role designed to give to someone who shows up late, like mid-game, that's genius. and just throw them in. Genius. Yeah.
1: That attention to detail is, is pretty genius. I've not encountered a game before that's done something like that. I really like that. Uh,
0: yeah, we've never actually used it because we usually wait until everyone who says they're showing up shows up even if it takes a couple hours you should minutes. do everyone a
1: favor and but, just show up egregiously late sometime just to give everyone the okay, pleasure see, of that role. Well <laughs> the fun
0: thing is like usually we start at seven and I usually end up showing up. the last like time or two I've shown up at like 7 fifteen or 7 thirty, yeah. but it still ends up being perfectly fine because there's always new people that need so to I usually get show the rule up and he's still like, explaining yeah. yeah. You know how it is. Like, you invite people for seven. Right. Realistically, people are rolling in at, like, 7.15 anyway, which, fine. That's that's yeah. fine. Especially for, like, a game like this where you have probably 12 people playing most of the time. Yeah. Um, And then you have to, you know, get the new players acquainted, and there always somehow happen to be more new players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the repeat offenders can kind of show up a little late and be totally
1: fine. Well, so one question I was going to ask just a quick one is what is the smallest number of players you can play this with and it's still enjoyable
0: um i think the smallest number of players you can play with is 5 i have not played with fewer than i think 7 or 8 yeah. and i don't know that i would want to yeah um
1: i could see that you you do
0: yeah because Like, because you always are going to have a demon, and at least, I think you have to have at least one minion for the demon who's also on the evil team. Once you get to having too few numbers, you're really. It's going to be a short
1: game if you're killing off one person every round.
0: Yeah. Or, like, it's easy to, you know, just probability wise, you can guess the demon. But it also means that they're less. less roles involved which takes a lot of the fun out a lot of the like information sharing and receiving and the special powers there's just not that many involved yeah um yeah yeah and i think a good game of this why i say that i think it's best at about 11 or 12 people is because then you get the diversity of roles so you have some people who will have roles that are information gathering some who will have more activist roles that kind of thing and then like enough so like the minions have interesting roles as well and and Um, do you
1: think the the appeal of this game because you know like you've said this is kind of a souped up version of mafia is the mm -hmm. thing that makes this game shine so much the ingenuity of the roles or is it like other kind of like um you know kind of scene setting rules that shape the playing environment apart from the roles themselves or is it a combination? Um,
0: it's a combination. Definitely. I think the roles is the biggest thing. And then also for me, just like the group that I've played with has consistently been very into it and very fun. I think yeah. that as we mentioned for so many of these games, that's really the make or break experience, yeah. but you know, it's like the game is offering you so much and it's up to you as a group to extract the maximum Mm -hmm. offerings from that game. And I think that for me, this is the one out of this whole group that does the most. And so I don't want to say too much more about it because I think of all of them, this is the one that I think I would be most interested in revisiting as a full review episode down the road. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about you? What's your favorite one?
1: So I think I'm going to have to go with a classic here. My favorite social deduction game is Resistance. And what I like about it is that you get most of the like nuances of social interaction that you get from a game like Secret Hitler that maybe has come out more recently and like has maybe broader appeal and broader um, or at least broader awareness beyond like really hardcore board gamers. And, and you know, you get some of the, uh, that same experience, but in a streamlined, very tightly wound game design that doesn't have a lot of extra fluff in it, but like gives you everything you need. And it just has really terrific synergy.
0: Yeah, I agree. I actually think that if I was going to like recommend one of these games to jump into, it would be Resistance, yeah. specifically um, the Resistance Avalon version, which is like Arthurian Legends yep. themed, which I prefer that to the base Resistance because the base Resistance is just kind of like this vague, generic, sci-fi, futuristic yeah. world. Um, and also the Avalon version in terms of gameplay it adds in some really cool um, character roles you can use, which yes. makes it a little bit closer to Blood on the Clock Tower, yes. but not quite to that level, but some interesting ones. Um, yeah. And yeah, again, Resistance, like, it's pretty low price point. It's been around a while, it's very consistent. I still see it on shelves all the time. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, unlike Secret Hitler, um, I think Secret Hitler, for better or for worse, gets a lot of attention because of its name and the theme. But I think that Resistance, especially the Avalanche, is a more fun, harmless theme. than Yeah. Yeah, Secret
1: yeah, Hitler.
0: I and I, I also just think it's a better game. I do wish that... I think Secret Hitler has a really nice production, like the wooden um, president and chancellor Those are, things, the envelopes. Those are the all really The nice, components
1: are but, nice, but I agree with yeah. you that, like... Yeah, in the day and age we're living in, play acting um a fascist takeover feels a little bit gauche. Yeah. Um, um
0: I think I'm just yeah. going to I'm going to hold out in the hope that maybe we'll get a nice like collector's edition of Resistance. That would that be fun. We'll have some upgraded components and artwork and all that stuff. I'm down for that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. There are a few other games I wanted to highlight here. I We don't usually make a practice of talking about games that we haven't played before, but there are a few other games that I think fall in this genre that have gotten a lot of attention and I think are worth noting. And the, the first one I want to talk about is, um, is called Decrypto. And this game has the the distinction of being the only party game on BGG that is rated more highly than blood on the clock tower. And wow. And so the way this game works is you are basically working as two rival teams of code breakers and you're on the one hand trying to decode messages from your teammates but on the other hand you're also interpreting co- uh, or intercepting codes from the opposing team and trying to crack their code as well and so it's yeah just kind of a fun fun premise i don't really know that much about the game beyond that the f- that basic setup and the fact that it you know got some generated some good buzz a few years ago and and uh has you know won some awards but that one's been on my on my radar and one that i was eager to check out uh the other i one i wanted to mention is kind of of a slightly similar vein but it is also a little a few years older and this one so just to step back for a second um, decryptos from 2018. So it's been around for a few years. And this other one is a 2016 game called captain sonar. And in-
0: I've never heard on that. It sounds like the name of a Nickelodeon show.
1: Yeah, it kind of does. But <laughs> captain sonar is number nine in party games. And this in this one, you it's basically a, team version of battleship in a way where you play two rival uh crews in submarines but each person has their own distinct role that they're contributing to the cause you have a captain you have a chief mate you have an engineer you have a radio operator and everyone's kind of doing their own little role in order to like outwit the other submarine crew.
0: Mm, that sounds interesting.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm thoroughly intrigued by that one as well.
0: Yeah. Um, the only other one that I really want to mention because um, it's a little bit different and also just a classic that I love and it's really small is Coup. Mm-hmm. Um ku is really fun. Um, kind of has the same generic futuristic sci-fi theme as the original Resistance, which is just a coincidence i'm sure although it's the same publisher so i don't know um yeah and then one thing that i'm i honestly i don't know if i care enough to look into this but you know how like there's one night ultimate werewolf yeah there's a whole bunch of them that Mm -hmm. are like one night ultimate aliens one night ultimate vampire and like so i have werewolf and it just it has like a number one on the box it's the first in that series but there's so many of them like what why there's there's so many and are they actually different enough or is this kind of like the horrified situation where it's the same game, just different coat of paint. I don't but, know. That's yeah. An interesting That's another one that, I mean, one night werewolf, it's not my favorite one, but I would also say I'd give it a slight recommendation, especially like um, it's a good travel game because it's so small. And because the pieces are a little like cardboard, heavy duty chips. I've actually taken that game camping. Huh? which can be pretty fun because you don't have to worry about, you know, cards blowing away off a table outdoors in the dark, that kind of thing. And, point. you know, werewolf in the woods can be kind of cool just to get back to our Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, am I right to say, I think that's, that's all we had for social deduction.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we hit on, I think all the big ones that, that we wanted to highlight and kind of like did a little scene setting about the genre as a whole. And like, what kind of, mentality it you know this kind of game genre lends itself to but uh yeah it was just really we yeah we thought this was a a genre that fit well with the season and wanted to we thought there was enough meat on the bone here to have this stand on its own as a as an episode and we're looking forward to hearing what social deduction games listeners are into and what they think are the the main appeals or you know potentially drawbacks to this to these sorts of games uh curious to hear people's thoughts
0: yeah and i i think that halloween especially halloween parties and stuff is the perfect time to throw these games into the mix absolutely you know what if if you're if you're a little bit self-conscious or uncertain about behaving a certain way yourself just Put your costume on and pretend it wasn't you the whole time anyway. exactly yeah cool well on that note um we'll be back next week returning to our halloween monster month of board games and
1: reprising our and until yeah, then reprising our roles as your guides through the games of through the through the corridors of spooky games for the season
0: yep yeah.